Welcome back to Chasing Kangaroos, George Stilianos. Yeah. <laughs> What's it been, four or five years? It's been a while. I mean, we, we do speak in between, I suppose, but rarely over the phone and rarely yeah, but actually, recording. <laughs> actually, on the on the show, I think it was definitely pre-pandemic. Well, I was going to so say... 19, maybe even 18. It's been a while, mate. A lot has changed. So as you mentioned there, we've had a pandemic, so we've had lockdowns. Uh, Greece is now yep. um, has now been in a World Cup, and uh, the sport of rugby league is legal yep. in country as well. So a lot has changed. You've been a busy man yep. since we last spoke, mate. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, there is plenty to talk about. Um, I'll let you direct uh, where the conversation goes. Mate, but, yeah, plenty, plenty to talk about, mate. Let's let's start with. Um, I guess you know we talk about the whole journey that you guys have been on since pretty much like episode three or four of Chasing Kangaroos. We're now up to episode 150-something. So we've been with you on the ride, mate. Wow, congratulations. As you, as you know, no, congratulations to you, mate, because you've you've had some success and you've you've had more challenges than most as a president of a uh, the Greek Rugby League Federation. But, man, tell me about um, the sport is now legal. You've gone through so many challenges. Everyone who listens to this show knows the story, so we don't have to deep dive into into why, what, when. But finally, you've you've told that story enough, I'm sure. But you've won the court case. Rugby League is legal in Greece. Greek Rugby League Federation is the official, you know, driver of the sport over there. And then we're in a pandemic and we're in lockdowns and all that sort of thing. So the challenges continued. Tell me about that, mate. Uh, so which part, first of all, the pandemic, you mean? Yeah, so, I mean, you, you've overcome some huge challenges and all of a sudden we're in lockdown or that it's, you know, the challenges sort of continue. But I sort of watched, obviously watching along with how you guys were going and you were one nation where clubs continue to build pre- and post-pandemic. So you've done a great job. So I kind of want to know sort of what was happening during those lockdown periods. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, so, so like everyone, it was a huge uh, setback for us and we did suffer because, you know, one year sort of pausing everything or stop starting constantly, it, it did damage to us and to everyone. And even this season, as successful as it may have looked, um, we, are, we actually ran two divisions and one of those divisions was played with normal rugby league rules, but nine aside. Okay. So the reason I say normal rules, it wasn't a nines tournament format where you play a bunch of mini games. We were playing usually 20 or 30 minute halves, just nine aside, and all the rules were exactly the same as 13 aside. So that was a, a necessary slight backward step because we had even clubs like um, Ayak and Aris, who were you know traditionally our, some of our stronger clubs. Yep had to take that backward step uh, just to get things moving again because their, their, their numbers were depleted. So we had this season as a bit of a buffer for them to rebuild, and they have rebuilt because they've, they've both probably got now close to 20 uh, active players. So they're going to comfortably play. They're going to return to the first division next year and play 13 aside. Um, so I would say we, we're not quite... Well, we probably are now where we were pre-pandemic and even maybe ahead of where we were because we've also got the women's, which is is growing as well. Uh, So, yeah, we've we've recovered from that lost ground, but we had to sort of implement that this year to to get things back on track. But next year for me is when things are really going to start kicking off. 
It's good to see it all happening, and and probably quite clever the way you've done it because on the surface there's more club. Like how many clubs have you guys got now across the east and west divisions in the men's, and then you mentioned the women's as well. Which yeah, is so yeah, so we had we wanted to have nine clubs total uh, in the men's, but one didn't end up. They were training in that, but they never had enough numbers for the match. That was Patra in west of Greece. We hope they'll be good to go next season. Our seasons tend to start September, October, after the summer break. Yep. Um, so we had, unfortunately, in our regular, which we called East Division, we only had three teams this year. The Rhinos, the Raiders, who are both from Athens, and, of course, the Rhodes Knights, the champions. So they played in a small division, and then in our Western Division, which is essentially second division, uh, we had five clubs. So we had Aris and Ayak, who had been around for a long time. And then we've got two new clubs. One's called Perama, one's called Glufava, which is good because they're in two very distinctly different parts of uh, Athens. And then we've got uh, Pirigios, who were, were active for quite a few years. Then they kind of disbanded and then reformed last season. So things are going well. Um, we're expecting, hopefully, one or two new clubs to join us for next season who are already sort of, you know, training and getting ready and under formation. Um, I would say in a few months we'll have a better idea, but definitely we've got five teams in next division, next, uh, first division next year. We've got three teams confirmed for second division, and ideally we'd like to get a couple more on board. Five in each division would be... a would be ideal uh, and then we're aiming for four in the women's competition because this year we had let's say three and a half we had four but uh one of them didn't really they, they only played one match and then kind of never had enough numbers that's the constant battle that you know we're sort of fighting uh every match like like a lot of developing nations so it's it's a little bit up in the air but in a perfect world 10 men's teams next next season and four women's. But we'll, we'll see how we go. To say you, you're going to have 10 men's, I mean, that's incredible, considering, like I said, we started, I opened this discussion with, you know, the, the, a couple of challenges that you've had in the last few years in particular. So to say 10, 10 men's teams, two divisions of five, that's incredible. Uh, four women's teams as well, fantastic. Great to see because, you know, you had the international um, women's team playing and then that obviously spawned you know, some, some more competition. Tell me about, um, so you yep. mentioned two new clubs. I know you, I know you don't like talking about things before they're cemented, but can you tell us sort of, are they, are they sort of Athens based clubs or are they in new regions or where, where are you looking for these, at, at these new, two, two new clubs? Yeah, we're, we're looking for both. Um, so a constant thorn in our side has been Thessaloniki, which is in Greece, for those who know, we've got a huge city, Athens, which is half of the Greek population. It's about 5 million. Greece is about 10 million. Then we've got Thessaloniki, which is over 1 million. So it's a large second city. And then after that, there's a huge drop-off. We, to this day, haven't had a team in Thessaloniki. Uh, uh, we've got a couple of people there who are looking to form a club, so... Awesome. You know, it's it's far from a, a certainty, but we're hoping hoping things start to get moving there. And then one is uh, in Athens. Uh, it's being run by a girl who she's been she's Greek South African, and <clears throat> she's um she's been involved for for quite a few years in rugby union, and she's looking to to do something now in rugby league. And uh, they've been training for quite a few months actually. 
they're not quite there yet with the numbers, uh, but we're hoping we're hoping by September they'll be ready, and hopefully play a few friendly games before the summer break. Um, and again, they're in kind of a, a distinctly different part of Athens as, as well, uh, which is what we want because um, we were struggling so much for for fields at one point that all four Athens teams that we had at the time were playing at the uh, training at the very same venue, so. It didn't really give Athenians many options in terms of geography and having a local team near them. So we're slowly starting to spread out and get teams in new parts of Athens, uh, which is ideal, which is what we want. Incredible. So yeah, hopefully one Athens, one non-Athens, and then uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how we go. That's how you do expansion. See, the NRL could learn from that as well, mate. Um, Fasilo Niki, how far is that from <laughs> Athens? From all the main clubs. Yeah, so it's a five-hour drive. Yep. So you, you in theory, could do it as a day, very long day, of course. But yeah, it's 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 a, a pro and a con, isn't it? Because you know you're spreading out across the country, but uh, you know travel expenses and logistics and all that are also a bit of a pain. Um, but you know we'll we'll take the challenges and hurdles as they come. And you know quite often we've grouped teams uh, geographically, so. Half the Athens teams played with Rhodes, and then you know the other half played with. We had Patra at the time, who were in the west. You know, we might do a similar thing with uh, Thessaloniki, so teams aren't travelling too much. We'll, uh, yeah, build it, and they will come. You know, once the teams come and we see exactly how many we've got, we'll make a structure accordingly. I love it, man. I think when we originally spoke, there was probably about six clubs, five or six, uh, or five and a half yeah. sort of thing. So you've doubled that in this time. There's been a, a, gl- a global shutdown um, and, and of course, so much going on. So, man, that's that's incredible growth. Yep. And, and, you know, the challenges are there, obviously, but you're overcoming them. Mate, uh, West Division Grand Final. So AEC 24 defeated RS Eagles 20. Our friend Stuart McLennan won't be happy yep. about that. He's a, obviously a big RS man since he <laughs> coached the club. Um, and, of course, in the Eastern Division. He is, but he's a, he's a good guy. He, he understands the bigger picture. He knows that that was, a, let's say, a good result for, for Rugby League. The good way. I love it. He would, he would. Um, and Eastern Division. Because, so, you know, there were a lot of Ike fans there, and, uh, and they, they absolutely loved it. That well, their team won. Men, tell made me, a big comeback. Tell me about that, because I saw the, the videos with the flares and the celebration. I mean, that's incredible. How many people were there? That was That was crazy. Yeah, so by my estimate, uh, it would have been over 300. And the good thing is that little grandstand at the field probably holds exactly 300, um, which was which was perfect. You know, the place was buzzing. In fairness to artists, they probably had about 100 fans there who were vocal as well. But the 200 or so Ajax fans turned up, they're from the obviously the soccer fans who... You know, they go, they're organized, they chant, they've got their banners, they've got their pyrotechnics and that. And they chanted, they might not have understood, fully understood what they were watching, but they were chanting from the beginning to the end. Uh, even when their team was 14-0 down, they didn't stop for a minute. Uh, again, maybe not understanding the rules helped. Maybe they didn't realize they were down 14-0. Yeah. Um, and they really got behind the team, and sure enough, uh, they made a huge comeback and, and snatched it in the last two minutes. What a great! So it was just an, an incredible day, and yeah, hopefully, um, 
you know, hopefully some of those, let's say, tough guy football fans watching said, you know, hey, I could I could maybe have a go at this sport and, you know, get some more players out of it and, you know, slowly build. And Ajax, the, the central Ajax uh, club, who have a huge following, they've, they've really been covering the match. Obviously, the fact that they won has been, you know, more so uh, made them want to share it more. But uh, so we got some really good coverage this weekend from that. So it's been great. Lovely to see. And AEC, of course, as you mentioned, a, a football, a soccer club, and very not too dissimilar to what we see in Serbia with the likes of Red Star, you know, an association with a larger sort of sporting um, group, uh, which is kind of really a nice way to do yep. it because, as you say, hundreds of fans there and lots of press. Um, so a, ho- a whole bunch yeah, of people exactly. being introduced to the game, which is it's a beautiful way to do it and, and really clever, actually. It is. Uh, to be honest, there are positives. Uh, it is a bit of a two-edged coin. The fact that we only have Ike at the moment has been great. But if we do get the other big clubs on board, that could create problems. Because if we start, because oh, if we start getting the rival fans turning up, you know they don't. You know they see the rival fans, and because. Uh, violence in uh, Greek football is pretty rife and you know the rivalries are huge and all that and obviously in rugby league games we don't have that Uh, and even with Ike we still don't have that because they don't have rival supporters there Um, so yeah I'm I'm a little bit torn on uh, if it's a good or a bad thing it it has its positives no doubt uh, but I think if all the big clubs join, then you'll have maybe a different set of problems and maybe some of the problems that they have in football. But, yeah, again, that's a, a discussion for another day. And if those clubs start showing interest, that's when we can see, you know, how we're going to handle it. But for the for the time being, it's it's not an issue. Not a problem unless it has to be. And, of course, you know, you could uh, maybe market it as the family version. You know the family-friendly sport. I don't know yeah. something like that. So it's 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 who knows. Yeah. It's prob- I'm sure there's a yeah. solution yeah. to everything. That's the, that's the thing. We we deal with things as they come. So if and when the time comes, we'll we'll see how we'll we'll go about it. So West Division was the nine aside. Um, East Division, the thirteen aside, correct? Four, four, thirteen aside, aside, eighty minutes. Proper saw, proper rugby league. We yep. saw the road knights continue their domination, thirty six to twenty against Attica Rhinos. And Attica have, have been good competition against the Knights in recent times, but the Knights they have been this I, Exactly, yeah. Even just a month ago, away from home, so in roads, uh Rhinos were leading, I think, by by a couple of tries yeah. even to the last five minutes. And then Rhodes got them right at the end. You know, Rhinos may have been guilty of watching the clock rather than, you know, playing the full 80. Uh, so they really fancied themselves. And I, I was expecting also, because now they're on home turf, maybe they'll win or, you know, at least it will go down to the wire. But Rhodes just got on an early roll and uh, Rhinos did come back, but, you know, the damage was done. It was it was too big of a lead. So... It's a very it's very competitive. That's a good thing. You Rhodes used to, you know, win even against our second strongest team by 50, 60 points once upon a time. Uh, that's not not quite happening anymore, especially with our top sort of two or three teams. Um, so yeah, and as the years roll on, it's getting more and more competitive, which is what we want. So short season this year because of the World Cup. What was the World Cup effect? You know, you've you know a lot of these 
guys and girls, seeing that you know Griggs can make it to the very top. You've had you had a good contingent of of local players in the squad. Um, some great experience for them with a lot of the the Aussie and UK based Greeks as well. What what did what yep. was the effect of the World Cup? Like, did, was it a was it a big talking point? Obviously, it was a shorter season because of it. But what were the positives? Yeah, so uh, World Cup definitely had its positives. First of all, it was a big factor in us getting the sport legally recognised because yep. it got, you know, the necessary ministers and the ambassadors who were pushing our case, the Australian and British ambassador here in Athens. You know, they were really nagging the, the minister to, to deal with our, our application and all that. Uh, so that, that really helped. If we didn't have the World Cup, maybe those... Uh, those caliber of people would not have even uh, taken us seriously. They would have said, who are these guys playing footy in a park? You know, we've got other things to deal with. Yeah. But they heard World Cup and the British ambassador heard, you know, World Cup in the UK. This is my, you know, jurisdiction, let's say. I have to deal with this. So they really took it to heart and really helped us. So that was the first positive. The second positive, uh, yeah, you're right. Players vying for a position in the national team. And because of COVID, we're now in a position where we just had a World Cup and the next one is only two years away. So the current crop of players know that, hey, that's not such a far away goal. Um, but it had that effect only because we put that uh, heritage quota in. You know, we... Some nations have been at multiple World Cups, and I don't believe they've capitalized on it because they bring too many Aussies. Um, the, they take a few token domestics, but they never get match time. And, okay, I'm not criticizing. It's their country. They can do as they want. We took a minimum eight, well, we took eight domestic-produced players in the squad of 24, which, if you do the math, it means it's impossible our coach is free to choose his strongest team on the day, but no matter what selections he makes, there'll always be a minimum, um, you know, one domestic player in that 17. Because I didn't want to, you know, in, in times gone by, we've had discussions with the coach on match day. I don't like doing that. I want the coach to be free to pick his strongest 17 on the day. So we knew that if we put that exact number in, from then on he can do what he wants. And credit... To him, I don't. That there wasn't a game where he only chose one. The the minimum that played in any one game uh, was three. So even you know England Samoa, he had extra domestics, knowing full well that we were going to lose. But as you say, a bit of that long term impact. You know these guys can come back here, and you know they're our future coaches, administrators, and they'll always have that let's say badge of honour that oh he's played in the World Cup. You know it gives him a that little extra bit of uh, street cred, if, if you know what I mean. So that was important to us, and it was kind of, it was something, like I say, we as a, as a board put that policy in place. The coach was then free to, you know, choose only one in a game if he wanted, but huge credit to Steve Georgialis. He was choosing three, and I think in the England game we had four. We all saw the result, obviously, but again, um, Back here in Athens, you know, we were packing into bars, watching the games. I couldn't go to the World Cup, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, just every time those guys touched the ball, the place was going off. And because, you know, they were watching on TV their teammate playing in yeah. Sheffield in front of, you know, 
20,000 people and playing against Tom Burgess and, you know, blokes they watch also in the NRL. So it was, it was a huge buzz. Those are the positives. One, uh, I would say, misconception about a World Cup. People think that, oh, World Cup, oh, it's going to be all over the TV and papers in Greece. It's not. It was nowhere. And I'm not, you know, I'm not complaining or blaming anyone for that. I, I knew that would be the case. We got a couple of inches here and there, but we really had to push for it. Um, so in terms of impact in that sense... Uh, was absolutely minimal. I want to change that over time. I want to, um, you know, and now that we're recognised, hopefully we can open some doors, speak to broadcasters, get the World Cup, you know, covered on TV next time, get Greek commentary to go with it. Um, and, you know, if we qualify, because Europe has one less spot at the next World Cup, uh, if we qualify, that's going to be my first priority, trying to get any TV station here to cover it uh, and with Greek commentary. That would be important and that's when it can start to have sort of a, a knock-on effect and turn some heads here in Greece. You've answered my next question, which is how we continue the momentum because, it's like you said, it's great to see you know guys like Bastos and Nian Nakis get a shot. Even guys like your halfback, Aris, he... um. I mean, future. When you're talking about future coaches and administrators, he's like to a T. That that's he's your guy, you know. So to see them getting that experience, to see the coverage at like I saw footage of you guys at the bar, have going nuts. Um, but you're right. And look, the, it may not have been on the the front and back pages of the of the newspaper, local newspaper there, but it's a start, right? So and and to have to have Definitely. that ambition to get it on TV in Greece, I think that's huge. Um, what is the next step? So we've got Euro. You guys are in Euro B. The boys are in Euro B this this season. What what are the steps to get Greece into yep. the next World Cup? Well, we first have to get past uh, Ukraine and Norway, which, uh, with all due respect to them, we're quite confident we will get past them as the Group A. Yep. And then if all goes as we expect, we're expecting, uh, okay, England and France have automatically qualified. And let's say, for example, Wales and Ireland are the other two. That's going to leave Scotland, uh, Scotland, uh, Italy, Serbia, Spain to go with us and the other Group C winner, which let's just say for argument's sake is Czech Republic. Yep. It's, I think, Czech, Germany and Netherlands in that group. Um, it was the first nation that popped into my head. It's not, you know, <laughs> I don't have a... That, that's a very close group. I don't know who's going to take it. But yep. it's going to be those eight that vying for... Hang on, because I don't have it in front of me right now. Vying for how many last spots? Scotland, Italy... I think it's two spots between the eight, if I'm not mistaken. So that's going to be a total of six European nations. It's Whereas good. last World Cup, I believe, was seven. It's going to be tough, right, to squeeze that in. And and what is the plan? Is it is it domestic players up to a certain point, and then you bring in some of your NRL boys, or how will it work this time around? <coughs> do you think, or is it too early to say? Well, well, that's the thing. We we only have at the moment one player that plays regular NRL. Um, that's Lachlan Elias at Rabbitohs, yep. and then we've got. Mamazelos and um, Magulias, who you could call fringe NRL players, you know, if there's injuries and that at their clubs, they tend to get the call up. Yep. 
And then it's a lot of lower league uh, players. So we're not exactly awash with, you know, top line players. Obviously, we do have heritage players that we can call upon. To be honest, I don't know. For, for these first matches, Norway and um, Norway and Ukraine, who we have this this year, uh, the Euro B rules state that you can't have more than seven heritage players in your match day 17. So that takes care of itself. Yep. We'll have 10 locals, seven domestic. Um, 10 locals, seven heritage, sorry. Um, then for the next stage, again, we, we haven't even thought that far ahead, but that's a conversation we'll have to have with the coach. Uh, but even with a World Cup on the line, I, I can see us sticking to that World Cup policy that we had that you cannot have a, a Greece match without, you know, a domestically produced Greek on the field. So, yeah, I don't want to speculate just yet, but we'll have, I would say, some sort of... Oh, actually, no, what am I saying? Group A does have a quota as well. So, again, that takes care of itself. I believe you need a minimum four locals in your 17. Nice. Nice. So yeah, that takes care of itself. World Cup, I believe, will have a similar policy to to last year. Beautiful. Looking forward to watching it all unfold. And you know, we could be seeing Greece in its second World Cup in in as little as three years, which would be awesome. Let's go back domestic, right? So um, we've seen the Balkan yep. Super League happening again, uh, which is great to see. Are there any yep. Greek clubs taking part in it this year or in future seasons? Do the Knights qualify or anything? Yeah. Like so that? so. So Ajax uh, are playing in this year this year's uh, Balkan Super League, which you know, good luck to them. Hope they do well. Uh, um, they're the only ones. Again, others have tried it. They've played in it. Um, but yeah, like I say, people underestimate the size of Greece, the amount of matches we have. So to get through a full season here sometimes is a challenge financially, and you know, player-wise, injury-wise, and all that. So. No other club uh, declared interest in the in the Balkan Super League, um, and the format they have this season requires actually a lot of trips. In the old format, it was just one home and one away. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've kind of gone for six teams this year, so some teams have to make three trips, some have to make two. So, yeah, most most were not able to to do that financially. So just act for this year, but they're looking forward to it, and hopefully. The fixtures will come out soon and they they can continue the, the role that they're on and the, the momentum that they've had this season. Wonderful. Great to see. Looking forward to seeing that unfold because yep. it's, it's always a competition I'm excited about, so good to see it back as well. I mean, plenty going on. And um, yeah. during the World Cup, you know, Phil Brown tells me that ChasingRoos.com sold about 100 Greek rugby league jerseys, so it was probably one of the more popular ones. So uh, there's a lot of uh, Aussies yeah, thank, wearing thank Greek jerseys. Yeah, thank you for that because... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we were caught really off guard in the merchandise. We it all it all happened at once, the recognition and the World Cup and we had a huge backlog of stuff we needed doing and merchandise we weren't we weren't really on top of it. So I'm glad you guys were able to get some out there. It was <laughs> so, it was great. It was just great yeah. watching them fly, you know, off the uh the theoretical yeah. shelves because it's obviously online, but even Vossi mentioned um <laughs> mentioned it on one of his calls as well. So just fantastic to see. There was a lot of love for the Greek jersey, so really good to see, man. Yeah, we we were taken aback by the overall reaction we got from the public 
in England and abroad. I mean, people people really got behind us. I guess it was probably the underdog factor or that been to Greece on holidays or new Greek people and liked them. So, yeah, we were really grateful for, for everyone and the, the positive responses we were getting. It was great to see, man. Great style of play. I mean, never... To be realistic, you know, there was never going to be much damage done from the Greek side, but some really good play and a really different style. Like, I always... It was very fun to watch, very similar to the Lebanese side in that, you know, you guys took some chances and credit to the coach and to some of the players as well. It was fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, awesome. Yeah, it was great. As you, as you say... Sorry, sorry. Yeah, as you say, we knew we weren't probably going to win a match, but, yeah... At least we had a few contributors to the highlight reel. Something to build on, man, for sure. Um, so, so what yep. happens next? Like, what's what's the next few years look like for Greece? What are a good result for you? Just in case we spend a couple more years before we speak again on the podcast, what are we aiming for? <laughs> so, um, a big, let's say, gaping hole in our resume, if you like, is youth activity, which we don't have any of. At the moment, you know, we've we've got some 16, 17-year-olds playing at their, or training with various open-age teams. Yeah. But this is one thing we really want to start working on in the next few years. And ideally, because as you know, there's an under-19 European competition. Uh, that's every two years. We've missed, I would say, next year, which is 2024. So we're aiming for 26. So that would mean we need now to start going for 15 and 16 year olds. And that's at some point this year, we're going to put a a little plan in place um, to get a few clubs starting that with the eventual goal of, you know, getting a national team in that under 19s championships in three years from now. Um, And in general, start, start building some, some junior ranks because uh, you know, I'm, players move on or they get old or they get injured and they're constantly being, or, or there's a need to constantly replace them. So we definitely need some juniors. We want to continue to grow the men's and hopefully if possible, you know, geographically as well. Uh, and the women's game is doing really well and, and we want to keep, you know, pushing that as well. Uh, the world cup for women, as you know, is expanding from eight to 16 teams. That's a huge jump. So, we're quietly confident we'll be a part of that. Uh, so that's been really exciting, and that's that you know we've we've seen a bit of an effect already uh, in our women's ranks. Uh, you know, players vying for a spot there. Um, so yeah, those we we want to just keep building, steady growth as always. And um, you know, I we never really know. We're always tweaking our formats based on logistics, based on standards of teams, and all that. Um, but yeah, we, we just, you know, priority one always is the clubs and the playing ranks to continue growing. Slow and steady wins the race with Greece. I've noticed you guys just keep doing it right. You know, whatever the challenge is, you figure out a way and you just do it right. And, and it, it makes so much sense that juniors is next, you know, 15 and 16 year olds. And then who knows, you know, school, school comps and things like that. Who knows? Um, but I look forward to the day when we've got maybe a full World Cup Greek side of domestic talent. Like it could be, it might not, it might be sooner than we think. Like it could be, could be very soon. So loving the growth, loving 
so much has happened since we last spoke. I'm just, it's, it's, it's amazing yeah, to watch the story. Mate, how can, uh, I know we've got a short time tonight and we have to wrap it up. So how can the listeners follow and, and also help if they, if there's anything we can do to help, like let us know because a lot of our listeners have a soft spot for Greece. They've been following the story since, you know, in the last four or five years very closely. What can we do, mate? Well, yeah, that's a good question. A lot of people were trying to buy our merchandise, which wasn't available. So we're definitely going to work on that and, and try and get more, and not just jerseys, but try and get some more, you know, products out there. It's a it's a bit of a uh, vicious cycle because to get all of that stuff done, you need a bit of funds, which we don't currently have. And, and you know, so it's kind of a, a vicious cycle in that sense. So... But we, we do we do want to this year get get something up and going jerseys and a few other you know shirts and whatnot. Um, if anyone out there has a, a business or a, a this or that, we're always looking for sponsors because yeah. obviously this is this is as grassroots as it gets. You know, players are, are chipping in to cover the costs and that. We might get one or two little you know local shops uh, sponsoring or, or do our raffles or fundraisers and that, but. Obviously, like any amateur sport, money always does help. So if anyone is, is out there and able to kindly sponsor or, or has anything that they can contribute to one of the clubs, that's always welcome. Old jerseys, you know, if, if, if you're involved at a local club and you know, you've got a, an old set of jerseys sitting in a, a, a storeroom that haven't been used for a few years, or they've been retired or whatever, those are always uh, much appreciated and, and always put to very good use here. Uh, yeah, little things like that. Um, you know, keep watching, keep supporting, keep, uh, you know, spreading our, our news whenever you see it. I love that, man. And I'm guessing if they want to keep in touch, social media is where to do that. Um, and also, if anyone wants to reach out to, to myself directly on the socials, I can I can put you in touch if you're keen to help out, sponsor whatever that may be, or if you have any old kit, then um, that is sensational. George, we need to make sure that um, next time we do this, it's not in four or five years. Like, we've got to do this more frequently. It's been great chatting to yep. you. I love hearing all the updates, man. Yeah, so you too. Keep them coming. Thanks. Thanks for having me, yeah. Thanks for chasing Cheers. kangaroos with me, brother. Bye.